0: This is the third week of Advent. We'll start in our Old Testament reading in the book of Zephaniah, the third chapter, verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Our New Testament reading is from Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 3. starting at the 7th verse. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this word. God, we thank you that we have these your authoritative words and God we pray that we would be the ones like the people who received John the Baptist's sermon who would say what ought we to do God we pray that we would hear and feel these words pointed squarely at our own hearts and that we would respond in obedience prompted and empowered by your Holy Spirit we need you Lord Jesus to help us and we know that in you we have all the hope that we need. Amen. We we read this uh, first part of this John the Baptist story uh, last week, and I said last week that John the Baptist is really the right person to be thinking of during Advent because his whole ministry is a ministry of preparation. And Advent is supposed to be the season in which you are being prepared for the coming of Christ. And so this is what our hearts are supposed to be inclined towards, this message. How am I to be prepared for Jesus' coming? And it's important to hear that message through the lens of John the Baptist... ...so that you don't get caught in the sort of, one, the commercialism of a a quasi-Christian holiday... ...in our culture, and you don't get caught in this sort of hallmarkification of the Christian, season, Christian Christmas season... ...where Jesus is just this, whatever, cute little baby waiting to be laid in a manger. John the, in John the Baptist's ministry, Jesus is born. He is a grown man. He is on the brink of starting his public ministry. And we, as a people... ...are not dealing with baby Jesus anymore. We are dealing with the risen, ascended, resurrected Lord Jesus. And when we are praying for the coming of Jesus... ...we are not praying for what we see in his first coming as a little baby. We are praying for what he is to be in his second coming. The king who comes... And there is a kind of echo of what that is meant to be when John tells these people to be prepared for Jesus' coming the first time in ministry. And you maybe are not looking for this kind of pre Christmas scripture reading where John is saying, You brood of vipers. Uh, you need to repent. The axe is about to be laid to the tree. The one who's coming is coming with a threshing fork and things that don't bear fruits are being thrown into unquenchable fire. Merry Christmas. Here comes Jesus. But this is the kind of clarifying that John the Baptist does for us. And that indeed all of the scriptures have been pointing towards. And you'll notice at the end of our reading, Luke describes John's preaching as the preaching of good news. It doesn't quite feel like that if you read the words before it, but Luke insists this is the good news. That Jesus is coming to clear away the dross, to burn away all of that which is unfruitful, and to bring in a new era. Zephaniah, which we read, is this prophet who preaches on the brink of the exile. Jerusalem, Judah, is about to fall to invasion by Babylon. Just as God promised them would happen in the law. You can go and read in Deuteronomy chapters 30 and the ones previous, where God tells them what will happen if they continue to live in sin and forget what he has done for them the people that he has just brought out of Egypt and through the wilderness into the edge of the promised land. And the fulfillment of that promise is upon them. He's going to exile them from the land. And and in many ways, their identity is about to be stripped away by the judgment that comes through Babylon. And Zephaniah is preaching and saying, the day of the Lord is at hand. God is going to judge. And Zephaniah says he's going to judge everyone. Many of the minor prophets will sort of pick a lane. The day of the Lord is coming, he's judging Israel's enemies. The day of the Lord is coming, he's going to judge Israel. Zephaniah, you get a two for one. It's everybody. Judah, Jerusalem, and the nations. The day of the Lord is coming for all of them. He's going to judge all of them. And you better get right. You better be ready for the day of the Lord. And the passage that we read is on the other side of that. It's on the other side of the day of the Lord. If people learn anything from the book of Zephaniah, if they memorize any memory verse from the book of Zephaniah, it's probably from this passage in Zephaniah because it's nice. It's God singing over his people and delighting in them and and all of those things. It's a beautiful passage, but if you hear it, With the previous two chapters, it sounds all the more surprising. God is going to bring judgment. The day of darkness, thick darkness, is coming for everyone. And John is is announcing this kind of extension of judgment. The day of the Lord is this confusing imagery in the prophets... Because is it, is it the day when Babylon invades? Is it the day that's coming yet down the line? Israel comes home from exile, so maybe the day of the Lord is over, but the presence of God does not return to the temple. So maybe they are, in fact, in the middle of judgment. And John is this prophet announcing that something crucial and climactic is about to occur. And what he demands is, like all of the prophets, the minor prophets, crystallized and made explosive and singular in focus. You better repent. Last week, I talked about these dual citations from Isaiah and Malachi about what a repentance really is and how it is the making of a smooth way. There is an ease in which God intends to do something that is miraculous and so comforting and soothing. So that when you read that one week and you come the next week and John is like, here is how I will announce that, brood of vipers, repent, the axe is coming to tear you down. There seems to be some sort of disjunction like perhaps John the Baptist is not up on Isaiah as he should be but you have to remember the crowd that is gathering around John the Baptist who is coming to hear him. And this is, in fact, what is important to hear in all the scripture calls to repentance that seems so stark, seems so harsh and scary, is that it is the people of God who are coming to hear John. It is is the Israelites. It is the faithful religious people who are coming to hear John and do not know what a life of repentance looks like. And indeed it is in question whether it is even for them. This is kind of the surprising announcement all the way through the minor prophets is Israel seems unprepared for the idea that God's judgment is also for them. So the prophets are continuing to tell them, look, You abuse the poor all the time. You misuse your power to crush the weak all the time. You are religiously devout in coming to the congregation and the festivals and the feasts and offering those sacrifices. And God says in the book of Amos, I hate it all. I despise your feasts. Because you are a people who are embroiled in injustice and carrying it along, enabling it in the name of the God of Israel. So what does God really want? Let justice flow like a river. That's what God really wants. Because Israel does not understand its identity and who they're meant to be. So why is why is John the Baptist so sharp with these people? You brood of vipers. You carry the name of God on your head. And you don't Even listen when he tells you to be prepared. And so they ask him, What ought we do then to rightly repent? And John's instruction is helpful for us because we often boil down repentance into saying, I am sorry, I feel bad. But that is not the sum total. ...of what repentance is. Repentance is a conversion... ...not just of your affections. It is a conversion of your actions. And so John assumes... ...that they feel bad... ...at his preaching. But what he dials in on... ...is their behavior. And what he demands of them... ...is a surrender... ...of their possessions... And this is where the sharp edges of repentance, John the Baptist's ministry, come for all of those who hear his sermons, even us, many, many, many years later. Because what we would like to do is fence off the repentance that God calls us to into a sort of emotional, I feel bad about this. But what John leads us to is something different. John says, if you have two tunics, give one away to those who need one. If you have food, do the same. And what does he do with the tax collectors, Jewish collaborators with the empire? He says, do your job basically with integrity and don't take more than you ought What should soldiers do with the power that they are given? These soldiers who are probably Jewish soldiers, either in service to the region or conscripted by the empire. Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, but be content with your wages. Why does John keep coming after people's bank accounts? He can't stop talking about people's stuff. Your food, your clothing, your wages. Why does he give this message of repentance and keep putting his hands all over people's stuff? Because John understands what Jesus will also preach that your possessions will point to your loves. And John will say, as Jesus will, that your possessions cannot own you. And if you don't pay close attention to who they are owning, they will own you rather than you owning them. The place of spiritual safety then is to give those things away. When Repentance is the message preached. When the day of clarification comes, the day of judgment, a day of sorting out what is good from bad, what is wheat from chaff, there is a recognition of what is most valuable to each of us. And John is saying you best be clear about what actually is most important and order your life Accordingly, that is what repentance looks like. And, you know, I don't know that I always got that message from my parents when they told me to, you know, repent, confess my sin to my sisters, probably for some act of annoyance or violence. I don't, I don't know. The, en- the emphasis was, do you feel bad? Yes or no. Yes, I guess, because I have to be. Now, act upon that bad feeling. Ask them to forgive you. Boom. Job done. What I didn't hear very often was, how does this change your life? Obviously, they preached a life change to me in very clear terms. Do not hit your sister again. That's what they wanted. But it wasn't really in conversation with my repentance to my sisters. And I I wonder how true that is of us as adults. Now growing up as church people. As we hear the baptizer and his words heralding the coming of the king. I think probably that all of us have church experience. Let's just say with other people. We were real good at talking a churchly talk. And not real good at anything that's supposed to follow thereafter. And it is worth paying attention to the fact that John's sharp-edged words for church people like us. We'd often like to reserve this kind of charged call to repentance for all the pagans over there. Fix who you're sleeping with, what you're doing with your money, with how you use your mouth, with the organizations that you support. Fix your behavior. If we're going to call anybody a brood of vipers, it's those dirty people over there. But that's not really the language of the prophets. And it's not the language of this prophet, of this great prophet, the baptizer. I cannot tell you and provide direct application for you what a life of repentance ought to look like in your particular life. But I do think it's worth being examined by these words, what, what, what role does money play in your heart? And maybe you're saying, not very much because there ain't much of it. But what other currency do you arrange your life by? What's the currency that you accumulate you obsess over that you arrange your life by. It may not be dollars and cents, but you and I are very creative in our hoarding. What is it that the, a life in the kingdom where Jesus is king and you are not, what is it that the king might ask you to give away? Because the understanding of your worth and his is right-sized by a clear view of him. Here is what is on the other side of this life of repentance. When you read the end of Zephaniah, that is what John is inviting people into. This is why it's good news. In the passage that we read from Zephaniah, we kind of get a sense of everything that God wants to actually deliver you from. It is is the oppressor, the enemy of your soul, the thing that weights you down, whether it's money or respect from others or a vocation or whatever it is, that thing that owns you is the oppressor from whom God delivers you. And that is the good news that John is preaching. That's why Luke can say John continues to preach this good news. That's why when you understand what God frees you from and what it is that happens in your soul when all of these dead trees, this shrubbery, this brambles in your heart, when all that is actually cleared away and dispensed with, which you are delivered into is clear hearing of the loving God of Israel singing his delight over his people. And it is that kind of life that God invites you into that enables Paul to write in Philippians 4 that you can be anxious for nothing. And this is a man who's writing with handcuffs on. When your loves and your affections are rightly ordered and cleared out and reestablished under the first priority of Jesus, you are able to live an anxiety-free life. Because Jesus has taken pride of place, and he can never, ever be taken away from you. And Paul says it is a kind of peace that doesn't make any kind of sense from the outside in. And we hear John's message and we wince, we cringe, we pull back, we sort of put our arms around our tunics and food and wages. And we say, I don't know about this. This seems like really harsh. This seems hard. There's like fire in there. It's like unquenchable. I'm not really into that. But what is happening on the other side of that fire is this kind of freedom. Now, you can hear this message in invitation and you can still yet confuse something. You think that you have to back your way in through this process to hear the delight of God. That if you give away your things. If you burn away this dead spiritual stuff, then moving backwards, you will finally become repentant. And then you will finally be able to have God love you. But this is not the way that John preaches. Because John preaches this message with a finger outstretched not pointing at the people who are listening, but pointing at Jesus. The move of the gospel, the move of all of scriptures, is not God sitting far away and saying, if you give away enough of your stuff, and then you can work your way into my kingdom. What he does is he comes close and approaches his people first And says, He is Emmanuel, God with. Us Before you have decided to respond to him in light of who he really is, before you've done any of those things, before you've responded the way that you should respond, he initiates, he comes, he invades, he moves forward, and you find that while we are in this season of Advent, of waiting for the Lord, he is waiting on you. And he is already prepared to sing that song over you before you have entered in to the judgment of repentance. Because his affections for you are assured. So that John can preach the message, repent, the axe is laid at the tree, Jesus is coming with a winnowing fork to sort it all out. And he is doing it while he's about to say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's so important to hear John say, Your apparent belonging to the right group is not the determining factor here. God can make children of Israel out of the stones. And you need to hear him say that because when you examine your own heart, you will often find there the very kind of stone that he is talking about. My heart is a heart of stone. I am the kind of one who fails to rightly order his life in light of the reality and the truth of the greatness of God. I covet people's approval. I covet possessions and things. I hoard my time and my energy for myself. My own heart is one of stone. And I could not give away enough to make that not true. It is only the Lamb of God who initiates and advances who could take a stony-hearted one like me and produce from it trees that bring forth life and fruit you are not the lamb of god that is what is at the heart of a life of repentance jesus is the lamb of god jesus is the great king of heaven and earth. Not your stuff, not your friendship, not the honor of other people. Jesus is. That is our great hope. And what invites us into a forever life of repentance. I will forever be living and being re-corrected in light of that truth of Jesus' reign and rule. And I don't have to be afraid of the news that the axe is laid at the root of the tree. I don't need to be scared because the one that holds that axe handle is the crucified and resurrected Lord Jesus. Who comes after me I don't have to be burdened down with shame and oppression of the things that have owned me instead of me being in control of them as soon as I see more of those weeds cropping up in my heart I can know God can bring forth children of Abraham even from the stones and here is testimony of that fact it's me he's done it with me And if he did it for me, oh, so long ago, he'll continue to do it until the very end. Because the finger of John still points at the Lamb of God alone. So people of God, as you are gathered here around the word of God, you ought to hear John's words pinning you in and asking questions of where your loves are. You should hear him say, have I consumed and possessed my things and been owned by them or do I give them away that they may not own me? You should be asking those questions. Those questions are for you and for me and we ought in the church to be aware of the very real danger that the brood of vipers is not in one place a long time ago but we can live in that brood all the time. You should hear that but you should also hear the good news that the word has come to stony-hearted people like me, like you, like the people on the banks of that river that day. But the one with the ax handle in his hand bears the scars of his own crucifixion because of his great love and his mercy for you. And though you might be afraid and want to cling to the things that define you, he has in mind for you not judgment, but freedom, but mercy and deliverance. Because his great love for you is unwavering, it is clear eyed, it is determined, and has always known that his children would be born from the stones. And he is coming yet again to deliver you so that you might hear his song more clearly than ever before. If you are here today and you are recognizing and reckoning with your own slavery to these other things, repent. Repent. Act and repent. Cut things out of your life. Give things away. Change You should. You should turn around and you should come home. If you are hearing this today and you are overwhelmed by the weight of that call, hear Jesus this morning. I've come for you. I don't just baptize outwardly with water. I baptize inwardly with fire and with the Holy Spirit that out of your stony heart would come this river and tree of life that is from God's presence alone. You do not face the fires alone, but instead are carried through them on the back of the Lamb of God. That has always been true and will stay true until we see him face to face. And the final fulfillment of John's prophecy is before us. And Jesus comes again in power, forever right-sizing all of our loves and fixing them on himself. Let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you for this good news, that you deliver us, that you free us, that when the day of judgment comes, we need not be afraid because we know that the judge is on our side. And Father, we confess to you that even though we we know that, that many of us have staked our life On that truth, we have out of pure distraction every day decided to order our priorities, our possessions, our time, our energy as if we were the reigning and ruling king of the universe. As if we could find pleasure evermore in things that will pass away so quickly. We know that it is our hearts that are stony. But Father, we thank you for this good news. That it is even people like us that can become children of God. Through the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for those of us who are here today and we are just enwrapped, enmeshed, ensnared in the ways and the systems of this world. God, I pray that you would... Help us not just to sort of feel bad, have a feeling, but that we'd actually turn. Their life would be converted away from those things. And that we would come find our hope in you alone. And Father, I pray for those who have lived under the burden that they must somehow burn enough things, give away enough things, do enough things to finally get you to the point where you like them enough. God, I pray that they would hear the good news, that you were prepared, you are singing that song far before they're ready to dance to it. That you are the one who's been waiting for them far more than they've been waiting for you. God, we thank you for your initiation, your advance on us. We pray that we would respond. We need your help even in that, God. Help us to respond and to find our great comfort in Jesus and Jesus alone. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for coming towards us, after us, for us. You are our great comfort in life and in death. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.